are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on FoxSports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7000. You're on the line on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Happy Friday, everybody. Noah Gardner with you for the Friday edition of the show. And if you want to call in, 334-321-1390, that'll put you through to us here on the Friday edition of On the Line. Trevor taking your calls today. Give Trevor a call, 334-321-1390. Anything going on in the sports world, we want to hear from you We are with you for the next two hours on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Or if you're listening on the podcast, wherever you get your podcast, we appreciate you listening to us out in the future. Coming up, we've got two guests lined up for you today. Lance Dahl of Auburn Wire, LSU Wire, and Locked On Kentucky, formerly with us on the line. He'll be with us at 2.30 p.m. And then Scott Bagwell, Auburn High School boys basketball assistant coach and Auburn Sports Network play-by-play announcer, will be with us at 3.30 p.m. to discuss Auburn High's massive area matchup tonight against Central Phoenix City, that game being played at Auburn High School. We're going to open up today's show talking about the transfer portal a bit and how it is affecting Auburn through these first four, five, six weeks or so since the end of the regular season. And Romello Height is the news in the last 24 hours entering the transfer portal. What is at play here? How does this affect the edge rusher room? If you look at the transfer portal for Auburn, a few guys, a few edge guys have transferred out of the program. Caleb Johnson, or at least they're in the transfer portal right now. They haven't officially landed at a new school just yet. But looking at Auburn's edge players that have entered the transfer portal, Romello Height and Caleb Johnson are the two right now in the transfer portal from Auburn. This is a deep room. You've got multiple guys coming back at the top. Eculiotis coming back. Derek Hall is coming back. Of course, you've also recruited the position fairly well. Dylan Brooks, don't forget about the Handley edge rusher. That was a late addition for the Auburn recruiting class. For Brian Hartson, his first recruiting class in 2021, he's still on the roster. There's some depth here. I wouldn't be too concerned with Romello Height entering the transfer portal. Of course, this is not a big blow, But it is disappointing to see a player that at times showed real potential, showed real talent, that he could be one day a difference maker at that position. So it is unfortunate to lose a player such as Romello Height. But likewise, we've seen a nice chunk of players enter the transfer portal for Auburn since after the Iron Bowl on November 30th. We'll look at that entire list right here according to 24-7 Sports Transfer Portal. And I don't think we have seen, looking at this list, too much damage to the Auburn football roster or too much attrition to the Auburn football roster going into 2022. If anything, I think the transfer portal can help Auburn in a big way. A look at the entire list. 
working from most recent all the way back to the Iron Bowl. Romello Height in the portal, according to 24-7 Sports, as we were just mentioning. Daniel Foster Allen, another guy who was very low on the depth chart. Dreshawn Miller, of course, we thought he was going to play a big role at cornerback this past year, and he ended up never cracking the top five of the depth chart, never really getting any playing time. This is not a surprise to me that he's opting to go and find a new location. In case... Everybody missed this. Kobe Hudson yesterday committed to UCF. Kobe Hudson, of course, entering the portal back on January 4th last week. Within a week, he has reunited with Gus Malzahn in Orlando. That one's a blow to the receiving core, and we'll talk about what that is doing to the receiving core in just a few moments. Nick Curtis, a three-star according to the transfer portal, a linebacker leaving Auburn. Dre Butler, defensive lineman that we thought would be playing more of a role throughout his collegiate career up to this point, but hasn't really been able to crack significant playing time on the defensive line. Of course, Amari Harvey entered the transfer portal. He's landed with Georgia Tech. Jason Jones has transferred to Auburn, so there's an addition that you've got, as well as Zach Calzada. Those are the two primary additions for Auburn in the transfer portal right now since we've seen Auburn have a flurry of players leave and a couple enter since November 3rd. Uh, November uh, 30th, excuse me. Jason Jones, a nose tackle out of Oregon. Of course, we saw Bo Nix leave, head to Oregon. Tayshawn Manning along uh, the offensive line, still listed as a defensive lineman on 24-7 sports. But of course, Tayshawn Manning, a backup guard this past year. He's headed to Kentucky. Elijah Canyon landed at Purdue. He has committed with the Boilermakers, but yet to enroll. Sean Shivers has enrolled at Indiana. Caleb Johnson, already mentioned him being in the transfer portal off the edge, and then Ladarius Tennyson headed to Ole Miss. That's his commitment out of the defensive backfield. That's the list of Auburn players that have entered the portal, and of course a handful of these guys, like Sean Shivers, he was a major player this year, at least at times. They used him as a third down running back. He made key plays in the LSU game. Without Sean Shivers, Auburn doesn't win the LSU game, but for Three quarters, four fifths of the season, Sean Shivers was not a major focal point of this offense. And I think you're going to be hard pressed to find players that left this past year, aside from Bo Nix, that were major players. I think you look at Bo Nix and Kobe Hudson as the two massive blows to this football team moving forward. But those guys, I think, are replaceable through the transfer portal. It wasn't like Auburn had massive destruction to their roster or massive attrition to their roster through the transfer portal. I don't think Auburn has been affected by this too much, and I don't expect to see much more attrition up until after the spring game. There's going to be some guys that are going to be unhappy after the spring game with where they're at on the depth chart. Those guys are going to enter the portal, but the same can be said about teams across college football. They're going to have players enter the transfer portal as well that you're going to be able to bring in. Basically, we're just going to trade players back and forth. Kind of makes you think that maybe, just maybe, if you had stayed where you were at, the grass isn't always greener on the other side, but maybe, just maybe, if you had stayed where you were at, you would have started eventually, right? Some of these guys that you're going to pull in through the transfer portal, it's not like those guys are going to immediately be starters. Dreshawn Miller transfers from West Virginia where he was a starting quarterback on the number one statistical secondary in the country at West Virginia two years ago. Transfers to Auburn doesn't play. That happens to a lot of guys. Thousands of players are entering the transfer portal, and it's not necessarily helping their situation. There aren't a lot of openings. It's like a job market. It's not a lot of jobs, but there's a lot of applicants. 
And that makes it really difficult to land on your feet somewhere. At least in a starting position, you may still end up being a depth player. Of course, I understand guys having the right to enter the transfer portal. I understand guys needing that opportunity, depending on what their current situation is, without having to burn a year where you have to sit on the bench. I like the transfer portal. I think it makes the sport interesting, makes the offseason more interesting. As Lane Kiffin calls it, it's a free agency. As many people call it, it's free agency. It adds more interest and intrigue to college football. Look at the NBA. When the season's over, a month later, you hit free agency. That couple of hours leading up to midnight, that couple of days leading up to the midnight window when free agency starts, and then you start seeing woge bombs left and right, that's exciting. And then all of these rosters are different the next year. It's exciting. It creates more intrigue for the sport. Likewise, it makes you feel like your team or your program isn't stuck. That there is hope that they can fix whatever is wrong inside the program if they can hit the portal. And so going back to where I started this segment at, I think you can look at Auburn in the transfer portal this year, and it may not always be like this. But I think it's encouraging going into year two where there's been so much panic from the Auburn fan base about the direction of this program. I think it's encouraging that the majority of players that are transferring out of this program are not difference makers and are not major players or even support players primarily on this football team. And they may not have been next year. And then another point to add to that, just as equally you are seeing difference makers and starters opt to take their COVID year and return or spurn the NFL draft and return if you're Owen Papo. Of course, a few guys have opted to leave, like a Bo Nix or a Dre Butler or a Kobe Hudson. Seems like Kobe Hudson, as he said, he was dismissed from the team, so that wasn't really a transfer portal issue there. That was on the own volition of the coaching staff. So really outside of Bo Nix, what significant players have you really lost? And if you disagree with me and you think I'm downplaying some of these guys that are leaving, I think pretty much all of these guys and what they've done is replaceable. You may not get the same level of quarterback play that you got out of Bo Nix. That is a big dice roll here. You may not get that out of Zach Calzada. You may not get another quarterback in this transfer portal window. You may not. Bo Nix is is a big blow, and I said that from the start. But if you break this down, the transfer portal, I don't think, has hurt Auburn that much at this point. If anything, I think it's going to help them this year. And transitioning to talk about the culture inside the program, I think this is just natural attrition that you'll see on a roster because guys aren't happy about where they're at on the depth chart. Or maybe it's even still attributed to the fact that Brian Hartson is still inserting his culture on this program and these guys got a taste of it after one year they said not for me but that doesn't mean that the culture is bad that just means these guys weren't fits and it's further accelerating what Brian Hartson wants to do with the program Almond's still scouring the transfer portal for new additions and talking about culture and if things are headed in the right direction I think it is I can't predict the future any more than the guy that's saying it's going to be a disaster. I can't. 
I could have Trevor next to me saying that the apocalypse is coming for Auburn football, and I could be saying, no, it's going to be okay. Neither of us know what's going to happen. This is clearly a fork in the road moment for Auburn football. This thing could go up or it could go down. It's just my prediction. It's my optimism saying that Auburn's going to win some of these guys in the transfer portal where this coaching staff has shown already the ability to not only recruit its own roster to get guys to want to come back and veterans to want to come back. If veterans are bought in, the underclassmen are bought in. It's a trickle-down effect. So it's great to see these veterans come back. Got some questions about if Nick Brahms and Austin Troxel, if the offensive line returning was a good thing. Yes, it's a good thing. Nobody's saying that the Auburn offensive line was a top five unit in the SEC. I don't think it was horrible, at least from a pass protection standpoint. I thought it was a top half unit in the league this year. From a run blocking standpoint, bottom half. Maybe even bottom four or bottom five. It was atrocious on that front. But it's still a great thing that these players are coming back because it tells you that the culture is good, that they're bought in, and the players below them, they follow their leadership. And some of those players, yes, they're going to say, this isn't for me, I want out. Or they're not happy about their depth chart position. That's going to happen all across college football. But I think you can see that there are more key position players and leaders and veterans buying in versus the crop of players that's leaving. It's players that are buried on the depth chart. It's players that maybe even missed some games this year. Whatever reason it may be, I don't think it's an indication on the culture for the Auburn football program moving forward. So I think the transfer portal has been kind to Auburn this year, and I think it can be even kinder as the recruiting cycle begins to wind into next year. Of course, right now the Auburn coaching staff gearing up for the dead period end. And then they're going to get to go and put some in-home visits on paper. They're going to hit the road. They're going to recruit hard for the next couple of weeks. And then signing day is going to roll around in early February. Then I think you're going to see some names come in. Whether they be transfers over the next couple of weeks or even after the early signing period, you're going to see more names come to Auburn. And I think you're going to see some of the panic alleviate a little bit when you see some of these players come in through the door. So just relax right now. Things are not as bad as they seem some other transfer portal news for Auburn Eric Reed Jr a former four-star recruit at cornerback pulled his name from the transfer portal to return to the Tigers adding some more depth to a cornerback room where it was clear that the defensive backfield there was an emphasis on recruiting it just look at the amount of defensive backs that they brought in in this year's signing period back in December Keontae Scott the number one cornerback out of the JUCO ranks, Marquise Gilbert, the number one safety returning, as well as you've still got Roe Torrance, Nehemiah Pritchett, Jalen Simpson. This defensive backfield's not going anywhere. And this year it wasn't perfect, it wasn't great, but it was good. And people sure pulled their hair out in the Mississippi State game and they don't like to see a high completion percentage from opposing quarterbacks. That's the scheme. And that's learning a new scheme. But these cornerbacks are still good in man coverage. Don't tell me they're not. Look at what they did in the Alabama game. Look at what they did in the Houston game. Houston was one of the most prolific passing offenses in the country this year. 
against anybody. So don't tell me they're not good. Sure, they gave up a high completion percentage. I think part of that is attributed to the scheme. But likewise, I think they picked it up as the year went along. There were some growing pains, but I think they picked it up as the year went along, and there's still talent and depth in Auburn's defensive backfield. The question is their star power as you've lost Roger McCreary, a future first-round draft pick. Could Keontae Scott end up being that star power? A number one JUCO commit, you would think they've got a chance. I think Nehemiah Pritchett and Jalen Simpson have opportunities to get drafted down the line. I would imagine Eric Reed Jr. pulling his name out of the transfer portal. He must see some type of opportunity to get some playing time going into his third year. There are opportunities at cornerback, but there's still some depth there as well. So I go back to the transfer portal has not affected Auburn too much this offseason. We've got to see at the end of the day if it nets positive for Auburn or if it nets negative. Right now, I think it's netting zero. You've lost some, and you've replaced some. You lost Bo Nix, you brought in Zach Calzada. I think that's a little bit in the negative column, but on the flip side, there's encouraging signs of Auburn and this coaching staff being able to recruit well. So I would just be patient. I think you're going to see the transfers that you want in the coming weeks. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, Auburn looks to complete its two-game road trip with a win over Ole Miss. What is the scouting report on the Rebels? We talk about that when we come back. Back on On the Line on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call, 334-321-1390. That'll put you through to us here on the Friday edition of On the Line. Whatever is on your mind, we want to talk about it. Still talking about Auburn football and the transfer portal and recruiting talent acquisition, if you will. It's recently been brought to my attention in the last hour. Brian Harson tweeted out a gif, his gif of the Eagle and then Auburn made, which he tweets typically before talent acquisition occurs, whether it be a recruit commits or a transfer. So I've got my main man, Trevor, over there by the phone, scouring the internet while I'm doing the show, keeping me up to date with any news that may break about who that may be about, because that could be a signal of Auburn getting some talent in the room, whether it be a transfer or a high school recruit. The dead period ended at midnight today so the coaches can go out they can recruit and I imagine they're out there going to see Trevante Citizen but Trevante Citizen yesterday afternoon released a top eight of schools so I'm not I'm not sold that that's going to be about Trevante Citizen that would be interesting if he jumped from releasing a top eight to a commitment right whether it be silent or not I don't know but Trevante Citizen's list of eight schools Auburn, Nebraska, USC, Florida, Miami, Michigan State, LSU, and Grambling. Of course, Citizen used to be an LSU commitment. He flipped, and now it's that group of eight schools that Trevante Citizen is looking at, and this coaching staff plans to go and see him a few times. People were asking me about him yesterday. Whether it was Ed and Terry, I think, made a call about Trevante Citizen They're going to recruit him hard, and I think they want to add another running back. This is the guy that they wanted out of this running back class after they got Damari Austin. It was between him and Justin Williams, and they wanted Trevante Citizen over Justin Williams. 
It's why Justin Williams is at Tennessee right now, I think. This is where their attention went to. Now, if they don't get Citizen and Citizen goes back to LSU where there are currently a lot of crystal balls for him to LSU or Florida seems to be another contender. Auburn appears to be a contender. They seem to be in that top three or top four. But Florida and LSU are the other two hot names, and LSU's right there that have been courting him for a very long time, including had his commitment at one point. If he ends up going to LSU, I imagine Auburn might hit the transfer portal for a running back just because you want four guys on that depth chart. And, of course, Jordan Ingram on this roster at running back to complete that group of four, but I imagine they want an additional back for depth. Because right now, the depth chart at running back, there's three players. Tank Bigsby, Jarquez Hunter, and Damari Austin. That was enough this past year. Changed Damari Austin's name to Sean Shivers. But it may not always be like that. What if it got ravaged by injury? Then all of a sudden, you're hurting. So I imagine they're going to go and try and add another. Other transfer portal news out there. Noah Kane, he committed to LSU. The Penn State transfer running back commits to LSU. I wonder how that affects the recruitment of Trevante Citizen. If he wants to get on the field right away, I imagine Noah Kane wants to get on the field right away. And there are some other younger, talented running backs on the LSU roster that, ha- that still have some eligibility. LSU trying to upgrade at running back. They need to upgrade at offensive line in order to help Noah Kane be successful because he hasn't had that great of a career at Penn State up to this point. Part of that can be attributed to the offensive line, but it's not like he's going to a great run-blocking offensive line either at LSU because they were pretty darn bad in that category as well. Henry Parrish from Ole Miss, one of their support running backs. He had over 100 carries this year. Henry Parrish entered the portal for the Rebels. He's out there. Now, I'm not sure if he wants to go and play behind Tank Bigsby because he's leaving Ole Miss. Maybe he wants to go and play somewhere else, right, to where he can be the spotlight guy. So I'm not sure if he's even a candidate for Auburn, but that was just looking at some of the guys out there at running back. And then the news that Brian Harson in the last hour tweeted out what he typically tweets out when someone has committed to Auburn. Now, what could that mean? Your, your guess is as good as mine. It could be a transfer offensive lineman, a transfer wide receiver, a transfer quarterback, wink, wink. It could be a high school recruit that they've been recruiting that we just didn't know anything about. We'll see. But that could be a signal that news could be coming on the talent front, the talent acquisition front for Auburn moving forward. And we'll keep scouring the internet for that, for news as it comes available. And then the drive with Bill Cameron and Dan Peck following us from 4 to 6 p.m., they'll keep you up to date as well moving back to the original topic for this segment and we will be talking about this throughout the show Auburn men's basketball a national championship contender played Ole Miss tomorrow in Oxford what's the scouting report on the Rebels and I gotta tell you as Christian Clemente has said to me multiple times Christian Clemente of Auburn rivals as he has told me many a time Throw out history with this Auburn basketball team. Things that they have struggled with in the past, forget about it. That's how talented this team is. Forget about it. This team is good enough to go on the road to Oxford and hand a big L to Kermit Davis's squad in Oxford, Mississippi. 
Let's break it down right here. The scouting report on the Ole Miss Rebels for the next couple of minutes before we have Lance Daw of Auburn Wire, LSU Wired, locked on Kentucky coming up at 2.30 p.m. Despite having good size, and that's what's been made about this Ole Miss team, is that they've got some size in the front court that maybe they can try and run with Auburn's front court, at least murky things in the front court. I say nay. I don't think this Ole Miss front court is good enough to do that. Ole Miss is not defending the rim well right now in conference play, nor are they having success scoring inside since conference play has began. Let's look at the tell of the tape in terms of how big this Ole Miss front court is right now. Outside of seven-footer Nizir Brooks, who is going to be just as big as Walker Kessler, who's at seven-foot-one, let's compare the average heights for these two teams. Ole Miss, with their average height outside of their seven-footer, they're all six-eight or six-foot-nine. For Auburn, you've still got Dylan Cardwell at 6'10", 6'11". You've got Jabari Smith at 6'10". You've got Jalen Williams, who's 6'8". You look at the front court for Auburn, there are three guys outside of Walker Kessler that are every bit as big, if not the same size. There are two guys that are taller and larger than the front court for Ole Miss. So I don't expect this Ole Miss front court to be able to still match up with Auburn's height in the front court. Auburn, I would still give the edge in that category that they are bigger in the front court, and that could cause some problems for this Ole Miss team right now that is 12th in the SEC in opponent two-point percentage in SEC play, allowing opponents, get this, Ole Miss is allowing opponents in SEC play to shoot 57% from inside the arc. That's 12th in the SEC. On the contrary, Auburn is first in the SEC in that category defending their own rim allowing just 43% of shots to go in inside the arc. A 14% difference in defending their own rim, not to mention Auburn is first in the SEC in blocks per game with 10, and Ole Miss is not anywhere near that. Chop it in half, and that's where you're at with Ole Miss. Even less than that. That's a bad matchup for Ole Miss. Auburn is much better at defending the rim than Ole Miss. Not to mention they're much better at scoring at the rim as well. Auburn is second in the league at two-point percentage, making 56% of shots inside the arc. Ole Miss is 12th, seeing just 46% of their two-pointers go in the basket. So they can't score at the rim and they can't defend the rim. Bad news considering they're playing a team that can score at the rim and defend their own rim. That is the biggest glaring mismatch for me in this game and why I think Auburn's going to have an easy time in Oxford tomorrow. There are other reasons as well, and we'll continue talking about that throughout the show. We got Lance Daw of Auburn Wire, LSU Wire, and Locked On Kentucky coming up on the other side of this break. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. Friday edition of On the Line. Working for the weekend on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central, Alabama. Noah Gardner with you on the Friday edition of the show. Welcome back, my good, close personal friend and formerly of On the Line, but now of Locked on Auburn, or Locked on Kentucky, excuse me, Auburn Wire and LSU Wire. Lance, you got so much going on, my man. You got me tongue-tied. How's it going? I'm doing all right, Noah. And yeah, like you said, a lot's going on right now. Kentucky basketball, Auburn basketball, uh, both playing very well right now and a lot of things to talk about in the sports world for sure 
That's right. We'll start with Auburn football, and there was some transfer portal news today about Romello Height entering the transfer portal, but also about Eric Reed Jr. pulling his name out. I was opening the show today discussing how I felt like the transfer portal hasn't hurt Auburn too much, hasn't really helped Auburn a ton yet, but I don't think it's destroyed Auburn yet by any means. Your take on where this program's direction is going right now with some of the players that have exited, but also a lot of players have announced their return. Absolutely, and you and I have talked about this a little bit before, and actually you mentioned Locked on Auburn at the beginning there. Locked on Auburn had Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer on, and he was saying something that I really resonate with on Zach's podcast, which is, look, Brian Harson right now is building a foundation, and the fact that we're seeing so many different guys announce that they're coming back to the program for their fourth, fifth, sixth year on the Plains, I think it's really awesome, especially when you look at what's going on in that offensive line, right? Two offensive linemen announcing that they were returning. Austin Troxel, Nick Brahms, I think they're going to be huge for this offensive line next season in terms of experience. And then we're talking about guys like Eric Reed, like you said, pulling his name out of the transfer portal. And then you see guys like Romello Height leaving. And look, the program is not necessarily for everybody. Everybody's got their different reasons for leaving, going to the transfer portal, right? So it's just decisions that you have to make if you want to better yourself as a player. And I completely understand that if kids want to leave. I'm not necessarily saying it's the bad move, right? It's not necessarily the bad thing to do. Um, but you look at the kids that are coming back, right? And you see all these kids like Aku Leota announcing <laughs> during Auburn's basketball game with Alabama that he was returning uh, to the plane. So I think it's really awesome to see all these different guys want to come back. It really makes me feel like Brian Harson is establishing himself uh, with the Tigers, and they're really taking root. We haven't spoken since Zach Calzada announced his commitment to Auburn. Your take on the Texas A&M transfer quarterback? Well, look, immediately after the news was announced, everybody on Twitter, at least most everybody on Twitter that I saw, was, don't be surprised if Auburn gets another quarterback in the transfer portal. And everybody thought that was going to be Caleb Williams, and I'm not really sure where he sits right now. He's probably, probably going to USC, uh, but there were people saying, hey, don't be surprised if Auburn gets another quarterback. And that made me sit there and think, okay, well, what was Calzada brought in to do? I think it may be very similar to what T.J. Finley was brought in to do, which is to be, to, be a depth piece, be experienced, and, and be ready to take over the starting job if he, if he needs to. Now, I don't necessarily think that Calzada is, is, cap is not capable of winning the starting job, uh, unlike T.J. Finley. Uh, I just think that I think that he is going to provide some depth and some experience to this room, something that a lot of fans pointed out immediately, something I'm sure you've broken down on your show, is this kid beat Alabama as a, as a, uh, as a sophomore. So I think that there's definitely a lot of upside there. You look at his numbers, they are overly impressive, but you got to think about what he was working with and the situation that he was thrown into. So I think that it is, it's valuable. Any type of experience Auburn can get in the quarterback room is great. And look, if they pick up another quarterback, that's going to be potentially a quarterback battle between D. Davis, Olden Gariner, uh, D.J. Finley, Zach Calzada, and then a potential fifth guy. And I absolutely love the coaching staff's approach to some of these different position groups, which is just getting all the talent that you possibly can and brewing some competition. I definitely think we're going to see that on the defensive line uh, throughout spring and fall camp, and I think we're going to see it in the quarterback position. So Zach Calzada, look, anytime you can get experience like that, that could even potentially start, I think it's a great thing. I'm going to put you on the spot here, so no shame if this is a hard answer to come up with, but day-day game has been set 
for April 9th. What is one thing that you predict to be different about Auburn from this past year to the spring game by the time that matchup rolls around? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, something different about the team. I would say, I would probably say, if we're talking about position group-wise, I think we're going to see a lot of new faces in the secondary and the linebacker, linebacking room. I think we're also going to see, talking about different things, I think we're going to see a lot more consistency uh, as opposed to uh, what we saw on the field uh, defensively and what we saw in the spring game all the way back from last season in April. So if you're talking about things that look different, I think you're looking at a lot of new faces on the defensive side of the ball, and I think you're looking at some more consistency. I think you're going to see players uh, visually more comfortable with what they're doing. I think you're just going to start to see some observations of, oh, the coaching staff is taking root, and they're, they're laying the foundation, and they're putting in their schemes, and all these players seem to understand what's going on now. Uh, something different, obviously, also will be, the quarterback rotation, I think, for the spring game. It's going to be really fun to see, like I, like I said a second ago, and I'm sure you and uh, you are going to be breaking this down in great detail uh, as the game approaches, but how do Auburn's different quarterbacks operate, right? How does the offense operate with these four different guys? We get to see D. Davis uh, again in somewhat of a, uh, a game-like setting. So I think you're looking at a lot of different things on the defense and then looking at that quarterback room, looking at that rotation. Let's switch gears to the team that can actually win a national championship. We'll talk about the men's basketball program now with Lance Dahl of Auburn Wire, LSU Wire, and Locked On Kentucky. Auburn men's basketball with a road game against Ole Miss tomorrow in Oxford. Our good friend of the program, Christian Clemente of AuburnSports.com, has said, throw out history with this team. This team's too talented to be bogged down by the history that Ole Miss and Oxford's a nasty place to play. I'm with him. It's time to go and siege Mississippi University. Where do you stand? I think that there are a couple of things that are working against Ole Miss in this matchup. And while history, sure, may be on the Rebel side, uh, Bruce Pearl may have only won four games since the end of the league, uh, or since he, excuse me, uh, started coaching in Auburn back in 2014. I believe he's four and nine against the Rebels since he uh, joined the Tigers. But this season, uh, like you just pointed out, and like Christian said, it feels like this team is too t- team is too talented to be bogged down like a team like Ole Miss. And also, they're working without two of their starters. I forget their names, but one of them has been out since late December, and another one uh, was just announced that he would be out for the next six weeks with an injury. So they're down a couple of players defensively. They're relatively sound, but offensively they're one of the worst teams in the league. Uh, I would not be surprised if Auburn comes out with a win that's maybe somewhere in the 12-point to 15-point range uh, tomorrow. And like you and Christian said, again, I'll reiterate, this team is just really, really talented. Auburn's is, and they are on a roll right now. The fact that they were able to get a a win over Alabama in Coleman uh, Coleman Coliseum was huge. Uh, we may see this team at uh, rank number one next season or next week, excuse me, in the ABA uh, people. Well, I'm going to ask you that question. Should Auburn be ranked number one with Baylor and UCLA both losing in front of them this week? It, it seems like, and I think you could still make the argument that Baylor should be ranked number one. I think Auburn and Baylor have the two best resumes in college basketball, but who should be number one on Monday? I think it's a good point saying that Baylor could still potentially be ranked number one. Baylor's obviously still a really really talented team. They've got some solid wins under their belt. Iowa State, Oregon, Villanova, Michigan State. Uh, I mean, they've they've pulled off some some, uh, pretty impressive wins early on so far here. Gonzaga, uh, I don't know where they're going to sit 
whenever the AP poll is announced, obviously they have two losses on the season, and one of them was to Alabama. And like we just talked about, Auburn just beat that team. So I definitely think there's an argument for Auburn to be number one, but I would not be surprised uh, if, if the AP voters decide either Gonzaga or Baylor uh, deserves to be number one. But if it were me voting, uh, partially because of bias, I'd put Auburn at number one. But if you look at the net rankings and where Auburn's at, and sure, Baylor and Gonzaga currently are ahead of Auburn, at least the last time I looked at the net rankings. But you look at it, as far as Q1 resume is concerned, Auburn's 4-1, and one, Baylor's 4-1, and one, Gonzaga's 3-2. and two. They've got one extra loss there, lost to a team that Auburn just beat at their place. I think you can make a lot of arguments for Auburn to be number one. But once again, we go back to perception. There sometimes is a bias, I think, that works against Auburn. The question is, and this is my question to you, because we, you, know, you and I are active on social media. We keep an eye on how other people are perceiving this Auburn program. But nationally, did Auburn gain a lot of respect after beating Alabama on Tuesday night? I think that there was some respect earned, to be honest with you. You talk about just like keeping your finger on the pulse of college football fans as a whole. If you went to Twitter, if you went to Instagram, if you went to Facebook – in the past, whenever I've seen Auburn succeed, there's been a lot of negativity towards the Tigers. It's either been, well, their schedule's been weak, or, oh, this is bad, or, oh, Bruce Pearl is blah, 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 blah. All I saw in the comments of post final scores from ESPN, March Madness, uh, CBS, all those different places, all I saw was, like, Auburn deserves to be number one. This is a really good basketball team. That's all I saw from other fans. Literally, fans that were coming out of the woodwork saying, like, I'm a Kentucky fan. I think Auburn's the best team in the country. I'm a Syracuse fan. I think Auburn's the best team in the country. So I think Auburn is starting to get some more respect than they have with good teams in the past. And I'm specifically talking about that senior-laden squad back in 2019 to, the, to the 2020. Uh, I don't feel like that team got a lot of respect, even though they were winning a ton. I think now Auburn's winning a ton. They've got pieces to make a run at, the nas- at a national title, and people that saw that win against Alabama on uh, or this, uh, this past game acknowledge the fact that the Tigers team is legit. Looking at some of the other outlets that you write and uh, produce podcasts for, Locked On Kentucky, uh, the Kentucky Wildcats with a massive game against Tennessee tomorrow noon, CBS, number 22, Tennessee Volunteers at number 18, Kentucky. It's going to be a lot of fun. This Volunteers team has been struggling a little bit offensively as of late. They are 2-2 two and two in conference play, which considering the talent that they have on roster, I'm surprised that they've kind of started out slow. Now, granted, when they lost to Alabama, they didn't have Kennedy Chandler. They didn't have John Fulkerson. So it was kind of not a – it wasn't necessarily a shock that they lost. But, again, like I mentioned, 2-2 two and two to start conference play. I took a deep dive on yesterday's episode of breaking down the Volunteers with a – a friend of the program, Hoops Insight, Sean Benzel. Uh, he and I broke down Tennessee versus Kentucky, and we noted that offensively they do a lot of interesting things. Rick Barnes has evolved from the flex to the motion offense now at Tennessee. They have some really interesting sets that they run statistically. Everything that they try and create on offense, though, comes on off the fact that they create a ton of steals. They're second nationally in steal percentage, third in the SEC in steals per game. They've got three guards in Kennedy Chandler, Santiago Vescovi, and Zakai Ziegler that can all really put some pressure on you. So I think the question in, in this game for me is Ty Ty Washington, the freshman combo guard at Kentucky, if Severe Wheeler is not ready to play, how does he handle the pressure that Tennessee is going to put on him? Now, Ty Ty is very young, obviously, 
still trying to get some in-game experience. But look, just a couple of games ago, he set a Kentucky single-game record for assists with 17 against Georgia. So I think Kentucky's going to be just fine if he has to run the point for the majority of the game. But if Wheeler comes back, I think this Kentucky team can handle business because, again, like I mentioned, Tennessee right now not scoring the basketball. So get this. Talk about LSU now as you write for LSU Wire, and this is our last question, too, before we let you get out of here. LSU opened conference play with this stretch of games. Number four, currently number four, Auburn. Currently number 18, Kentucky. Number 22, Tennessee. That's where they're now ranked. Florida, Arkansas, currently ranked number 24, Alabama. Number 22, Tennessee again. And then a Texas A&M team that's currently undefeated in SEC play. That is their start to the SEC season before you get to the SEC Big 12 Challenge. And somehow this team is 3-1 and one right now and looking like the second-best team at the SEC. Do you, agree, do you agree with that statement? I would completely agree with that statement. Then you look at the SEC Big 12 Challenge, that TCU team is 11-2, and two, and that game's at TCU. This is easily one of the most difficult openings to conference play that I've seen uh, in the SEC in quite some time. LSU's been able to weather it, like you just mentioned, defensively, incredibly sound. You know, they probably would have had a legitimate shot to beat Auburn uh, in that matchup just a, uh, a couple weeks ago. But, you know, it really stinks. You can't necessarily let teams get out to an 18-1 lead. That's on right. Uh, so it's, uh, it's just uh, you're probably going to lose if that happens. But this LSU team has a lot of resiliency. They've shown in other games outside of that Auburn game that they can come back from deficits, which has been incredibly impressive, especially in some games that they probably should have won. But, yeah, the defense has definitely carried LSU and they've got some guys on offense as well that have been playing out of their mind. For instance, uh, Tari Easton, who is a sophomore forward, averaging almost 16 points a game now. He's been playing really, really well uh, for the uh, for the Tigers so far. I believe he's in the running, actually, for Ken Palm Player of the Year. I believe he's in the top five, top six of that. Uh, but Jabari's got to be at the top of that, right? Oh, t- t- Jabari's in the top ten. I actually think it's, it's Chet Holmgren. Or oh, Oscar Chibwe at the top. Yeah, honestly, whenever I looked at that, I was like, okay, where's Jabari if he's on the All-SEC? To be team? fair, anyway. Jabari's not putting up a ton of points right now compared to some other names in college basketball, but he also has to share the load with a fantastic roster, you know? Yeah, exactly. That's what I was about to say. Is like, While Jabari, in his own right, is a fantastic player and will be a top-five draft pick, uh, he's got some guys on the roster that know how to score uh, not necessarily as well as him, but can definitely put the uh, put the ball in the hole. So, but talking about LSU, I mean, they uh, the fact that they lost to Auburn still kind of shocks me looking back now because I think this team, just as well as Auburn, could make a deep deep tournament run if they're able to keep up their uh, defensive intensity. These are definitely the two best teams in the conference right now, and it's been a conference that I think has been. Uh a little under-impressive compared to what we thought it would have been uh, going into this year. I, I don't think it's been as deep as we all thought it would be. I think there have been some teams that have really struggled at this point. And, but LSU has, has, honestly, they have cleared the bar of the expectation, I think, after we saw a weak non-conference schedule. Lance, I appreciate you taking the time to speak with me today. Tell everybody where they can keep up with you, my man. Yeah, they can follow me on Twitter at LanceDahl underscore. They can listen to my podcast, Locked on Kentucky, wherever you get your podcasts. And you can check out my stuff that I write over at Auburn Wire and LSU Wire, both USA Today websites. Lance, I appreciate it, my man. I hope you have a good rest of your afternoon. Appreciate it, Noah. Thank you so much for having me on. Ramping up hour number one of the Friday edition of On the Line. Got about three and a half minutes left before we head 
to our number two. If you want to call in, 334-321-1390, that is the number to call. Please call us. We want to hear from you. Anything going on in the sports world, questions, comments, whatever's going on in your mind about anything going on in sports. Big thank you there to Lance Dahl of Auburn Wire, LSU Wire, and Locked On Kentucky for joining us back in our previous segment. If you missed that conversation, go and find our podcast wherever you get your podcast. A couple of segments ago, we were talking about Auburn's road trip to, by the way, the University of Mississippi. I said Mississippi University. That was cringe. Like when somebody says, I'm committed to the University of Auburn, so I apologize for that. But when I was talking with Lance, I said Mississippi University. It's University of Mississippi. Auburn with a game against Ole Miss. We'll just say that tomorrow. And a lot's been made about how talented this team is, and it is so talented. Auburn, that is. And that they can win a national championship, without a doubt. Erase history. Forget about it. Erase it from your memory when we're talking about this team because they are writing their own history. They are writing their own chapter in the Auburn history books, and it is independent of any trends that we have seen in the past with an Auburn basketball program. And we were talking about the scouting report on the Ole Miss Rebels, talked about how poor Ole Miss as it is at defending their own rim as well as scoring in their, at their opponent's basket. That is a big mismatch here with Auburn's front court and this Auburn team that has been so good at scoring in the paint through the first couple of games of SEC play. And I talked about a couple of the matchups against the teams that Auburn was playing against and how I saw them as litmus tests, not because those teams were super talented, but because of how they play the game of basketball. And I was curious about how this Auburn team that loves to shoot threes, how they were going to perform against teams that defend the three-point line well. And at times when we've seen Auburn on the road and they don't shoot the ball well, would they continue to shoot the basketball with, with poor shot selection and whatnot? And they... They have grown. They have changed completely to a team now that is working for good shots. And shot selection has not been a problem for Auburn in SEC play. And that's a big reason why this team no longer, believe it or not, in conference play, they are like eighth in the SEC in three-point attempts. They still shoot a lot of threes. They shoot a lot of shots, period. They still shoot a lot of threes. But believe it or not, Auburn has been going after it at the rim in conference play. They have been working for good shots. They've been getting them. Once again, scoring 57% inside the yard. Auburn is balling right now inside the paint. Let's move to another area inside this matchup that I think is something to watch out for. That moves us to the perimeter. We've talked about the paint. Let's move to the perimeter now where there is quite the matchup here. This, This is good on good in this area. Ole Miss is shooting 40% from three in SEC play. Auburn is holding opponents to 27% from beyond the arc in the conference. Ole Miss has three ball. If it's dropping at home, it could be enough to keep them around. Not win, but keep them around, I think. With Ole Miss playing at home, it's going to be important for Auburn's defensive intensity to extend to the three-point line. And I think it will. Auburn has not allowed anybody to shoot well against them up to this point. How they played against Alabama on Tuesday night, shutting them down completely from beyond the arc on their home floor, there's no reason why they can't do that against Ole Miss. This Auburn team right now is bucking all the trends that Auburn basketball has put on in history. I expect Auburn to have a big win against Ole Miss coming up tomorrow. We'll keep previewing this game in hour number two. Stay tuned. On the line. 
Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on foxsports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Hour number two on the Friday edition of On the Line. Noah Gardner with you on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call, 334-321-1390. That'll put you through to us here for the Friday edition of the show. We want to hear from you, whatever is on your mind in the sports world, we'll talk to you about it. We had a fun first hour, a lot of great stuff going on. We had Lance Daw of Auburn Wire, LSU Wired, Locked On Kentucky to speak with us. And then coming up in this hour at 3.30, we'll have Scott Bagwell, Auburn High School Boys Basketball Assistant Coach. As Auburn High Varsity Boys Basketball and Varsity Girls will be taking on Central Phoenix City and a massive area tilt tonight at Auburn High School. So we'll have all of that coming up once again at 3.30 p.m. We're going to head to the phone lines now, 334-321-1390. That's we're going to start hour number two with Dan's on the line with us. Dan, how's it going, man? It's going pretty good. Good. Uh, yeah, I was going to call in and tell you the, the scouting from uh, Lance was, was pretty on. I noticed that, that there is – I think they're starting – one of their better scorers is out for sure. And if you look at their last few games – um, Ole Miss really only plays about six guys, like ninety percent of their minutes. So that I means like, literally their starting lineup, the whole lineup is averaging more than thirty minutes. Some of them, one of them thirty-seven, one of them thirty-six, one thirty-four. I think if we go into this game and just run like crazy and just rotate and and just try to wear them out, I think it'll be an an easy win. Uh, I just don't know how they're going to be able to to. You know, I mean, Ole Miss is good at, at switching defenses and half court and all that. And if you just force them into a, a full court game, having to defend and run, I mean, I, I just don't see how they're how they're going to pull it out. Yeah, they're. I, I don't see a single area in the game of basketball where Ole Miss has the advantage over Auburn tomorrow. This this thing could be ugly, and that would be the statement when exactly that. And I know Tuesday night was a statement, but that could be the further the nail in to support the the notion that Auburn should be the number one team in the country on Monday. I, I just don't see. I'm with you. I don't see a single area where Ole Miss beats Auburn tomorrow. And the guys that you are talking about, Jarkel Joyner, he's their leading scorer, 13.6 points per game. He's out with an injury, as well as they had another guy, a big man for them, six foot eight Ford, Robert Allen, who tore his ACL back in December. Those are their two vocal leaders. They're, they are missing, uh, they're, they're missing top-tier leadership, and that, that's going to hurt them, I think. I, I just seriously do not see a single area where Ole Miss can hang with Auburn tomorrow. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and I think one thing about this team that's that's – very unique, which you, you know, I, you know, I've never seen a, a team that could play so many players. But you know, we can play however the other team wants to play. I mean, if they want it to be a half court game, we can be a really good half court team. If we want to be a full court team and, and press and run, we can play that way too. You know, it just it depends who you know who who's hot and who's not, and you know. But it just right now you, you have a team that's just given maximum effort. You know, they're all trying to get their minutes on the court, and they all. You know, just happy to contribute however they can, and that's just making our team just so dangerous. And you know, I, I'm super pumped, and you know, 
it, it just it looks too good to be true almost right now. <laughs> so. I mean, and, and the odds, the, the NCAA tournament odds, we were talking about that yesterday for, for Auburn to win the national championship. I think Auburn's at like 12 to 1 right now, which is like they're up there. They they are on the same line as, as, as teams like Duke and Kansas to win a national championship. And, and that's special. This team can win it all. And I like what you said about the, the diversity of this team and how flexible they are to play the game however that they need to to win. You were talking about being able to be a half-court team. The reason why Auburn can be a half-court team is because this team actually scores well in the paint and they defend the paint well. Previous Auburn teams, that may have been something that they were lacking. This team, they're top two in both two-point percentage and opponent two-point percentage, whereas Ole Miss, they're like bottom three in the conference in those two categories. I think Auburn is going to devour them on the inside tomorrow. Uh, I, I do too, but just one game at a time. You know, every one of these games matters. We, we definitely want to be a, a, a one seed if we can do it. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, you just don't want to, you know, fall asleep and just just assume you're going to win. Because one game so, could be the difference for you being a one seed or not. You know, I mean, there's going to be a ton of teams with there, there's going to be several teams, five or six, I think, that are going to be competing for a one seed at the end of the year, and they're all going to have three or four losses. And Auburn's going to be in that mix. It just comes down to whose resume is better. And I think Auburn's going to have that resume. I appreciate it. Have a great day. Appreciate it. Thanks, Dan. That was Dan calling in to us. If you want to call it, 334-321-1390. It's a lot to love about this Auburn team. They're, they're so good, and I like what he said going back to his comments about how Auburn can be a half-court team if they have to or if they need to run and gun, they can do that. It's true. And it's because this Auburn team, they are good at everything. The only thing that maybe is a problem for this team, and I've pointed this out, and that's because it is rational to be objective about this team and to say, hey, this is something that they might need to improve upon down the line in order to win the national championship. I'm enjoying this team a lot. I I think they are good at everything on the basketball floor. The the only thing that maybe you can nitpick about is that they need to stop blowing leads. Um, And they've done that a time or two in SEC play, but I think this team's still growing, and what you've got right now is not the end product. They're going to be even better a month from now. And then they're going to be even better a month from then. We're still two months away from the SEC tournament. We're still 14 games away from the SEC tournament in conference play. 15, including the uh, the Oklahoma game at the SEC Big 12 Challenge. There's so much to like about this Auburn team, and that's why when we've been breaking down this Auburn-Ole Miss game today, it's why I've said I, I just don't see an area where Ole Miss beats Auburn. Of course, it's true that in college basketball or any sport, anybody can rise to the occasion and have a, a night where they play out of their mind or play above their weight class. That can happen. Plenty of teams can do something where it's a statistical anomaly. Look at Alabama and the SEC championship. Owned things up front on offense and defense against Georgia in the SEC championship football game. But then look at them in the national championship, and now all of a sudden Stetson Bennett's a national championship quarterback, Right. I mean, anything can happen. Guys can play above their skill level any given night. That, that's the beauty of sports. Ole Miss could do that. But if, if you look at this on paper going into tomorrow night and looking at the scouting report, Auburn is much more the talented team, much more the deep team. Ole Miss has nobody coming in this game. Excuse me, they have one player. Forgive me, Deshaun Ruffin is still averaging more than double-digit points. But their leading score is down. They lost another one of their vocal leaders on defense in the front court with Robert Allen, the senior forward. You, you look at this team right now and, and the injuries, they're talking about Ole Miss here. I mean, th- these are crippling injuries to a team that already has a lot of offensive inefficiencies. They only average on this season in conference play, they're only averaging 64 points per game. And that's bad. 
And this is a team that doesn't take a lot of shots. They're a half-court team. They like to play the game slow. They just have a lot of inefficiencies. And to lose two of your top players to injury, Jarkel Joyner is a huge loss for them. To lose that guard in the backcourt, I mean, he's the one that makes the offense go. He's one of their top assist guys. He's second on the team in assist with 2.8. Leading scorer at 13.6. Best free throw shooter that's actually, you know, shooting more than a couple of free throws this year. Someone that actually is consistently taking free throws. I mean, he's shooting 85% from the charity stripe. He shoots 36% from three. Shoots 46% from two. 42% from the field total. I mean, he, he takes the most field goal attempts on the team. They just, that just erased 11 field goal attempts from Ole Miss. Somebody, that somebody else is going to have to pick up that you probably don't want shooting the basketball because they weren't already. And there's just not that type of talent on this Ole Miss team. So there's a lot to like about the matchup for tomorrow. We're in the pa- whereas in the past, this would be a game that I'd be sweating about. But I also think, and something else that's just kind of underlying this game going into it, I think this team has heard all the noise. Bruce Pearl and this team is aware of the issues that Oxford, Mississippi has, pre- has presented to them. In a way... Like, I, I'm not worried about Auburn looking ahead to next week when they're playing Kentucky. I'm not looking ahead to, to any of Auburn's games, and I don't think this team is. You know, uh, once again, Dan made a great point that, it, that every game is important, that this is the next game. It's important. You can't overlook it. I don't think this team is overlooking this one. I think they want to punish Ole Miss at their place in the pavilion. And the reason why is because of the history. They've been hearing it. They want, they, they want to go in there and make a point. I think this team also has been very good at living in the moment and being present. We haven't seen them really look ahead yet. They've had a lot of opportunities to look ahead. The Florida game was a great opportunity for Auburn to have been looking ahead and possibly slip up against somebody that is talented enough to beat them. And what they do, they beat Florida. And they beat them by double digits, beat them by 12. They could have looked ahead to the Alabama game, but they didn't. This team has stayed present in the moment and hasn't looked ahead. This team's motivated. I think they relish every opportunity that they have to get out on the floor, and I think they take all of those games seriously. They all play with a chip on their shoulder. They all have this this want to to prove themselves and earn respect nationally. And so I hope none of that changes now that some of that respect is coming, but I, I don't think it is. I think this is a team that loves to play basketball and loves to play basketball with each other. That's special. And they're all really good at it too. We haven't seen anything like this. In my lifetime, never seen anything like it. I wasn't alive for Charles Barkley, for the Person Brothers. I wasn't alive for that. But in my lifetime, this is the best basketball team I've, I've seen at Auburn University. It's the deepest basketball team. It's the most talented. This team can win a national championship. Enjoy it. It, it, is definitely, it has definitely been a fun time. Before we move on in the show, let's get into making headlines to start off hour number two. Making headlines. As we start every hour number two with our making headlines segment, looking at some of the stuff going on outside the Auburn Spear, what's going on in the sports world. Alabama wide receiver, as mentioned yesterday on the show, Jamison Williams, he could be the top wide receiver off the board. Now, of course, the ACL injury hurts him a little bit, possibly. It maybe muddies things up a little. Some teams are going to be a little concerned about the ACL injury, but Adam Schefter also reported that. He was expected to have a full recovery and be right back to his 4-3 speed. And he improved drastically from start to finish at Alabama this year for somebody that didn't play a whole lot at Ohio State. He went from not playing at Ohio State to being the top receiver off the board. Somebody's going to take this guy in the first round. He may not be the number one guy. I would, I, I would imagine he'll still be in contention for that. But an injury could change that. It'll just be interesting to see how things unfold, getting closer to the combine, 
as more and more medical reports come out. You know the drill with the NFL draft. NFL draft reports are some of the most finicky things. Any one little thing, someone could, just one little blurb, one little bullet point on somebody's report could show up, and now all of a sudden everybody's just freaking out. They're like, oh, no, we got, we got to drop them 20 spots on the draft board. This is not – we can't do this. No, red alert, red alert. So I don't know if that's going to happen with Jamison Williams, but it is still big news that Alabama's losing one of its top receivers, its top receiver from this past year. He was the best receiver for Alabama. Without Jamison Williams, Alabama doesn't make the college football playoff. I believe that. They don't win that first game against Georgia in the SEC championship if Jamison Williams doesn't play in it. And likewise, I think Alabama wins the national championship against Georgia if Jamison Williams doesn't get hurt in the second quarter. There I said it. I don't, I don't think – I'm not taking anything away from what Georgia did in the national championship on Monday. They won it fair and square. But if Jamison Williams stays healthy, Alabama was getting ready to pull away in the second quarter. If Jamison Williams stays healthy, they win that game. The passing game does not have the struggles that it does moving forward from that point. They lost the big play. They lost the big play as soon as Jamison Williams got hurt. That changed the entire trajectory and outcome of the football game. Jamison Williams is that good. And I think he's going to make an NFL team very happy. Uh, But like I said, the storyline here maybe isn't as much about the NFL draft. It will become about that as the months go on for Alabama fans as they want to see their top receiver be the top receiver off the board in the NFL draft. I think the story is about the fact that Alabama just lost one of their top pass catchers. And then not to mention, we don't know what's going on with John Mechie yet unless I've somehow been living under a rock and I've missed any news from John Mechie. But if John Mechie decided, "Ah, I don't want to come back, I want to go to the draft, if he opts to move on, because John Mechie's draft eligible, John Mechie's a junior, if he opts to move on to the draft, I don't know how confident everybody should be in what they watched on Monday night in the future of this receiving core. A lot of drops, had a hard time getting separation. I talked about this yesterday. I, there's a lot of teams, a lot of – blue bloods isn't the right word, but there, there is a lot of VIP teams in college football right now. Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, that they all showed severe weakness this past year. Oklahoma lost two games, didn't even make the Big 12 championship. Oklahoma, Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, they all had the worst teams that they've had in recent memory. Ohio State didn't make the playoff. Didn't even make their own conference championship game. Same thing for Oklahoma. Clemson lost three football games. And Alabama, definitely this was the worst Alabama team that Nick Saban has had to this point. Nick Saban didn't even look mad when he went to midfield to shake Kirby Smart's hand. Granted, he should be happy for his former assistant. But I think Nick Saban, if you followed this team all year long and the way that Nick Saban talked about it, about how he was, you know, the the conversation that he would have and the discussion that he would have on his radio shows. And you remember the rant that he had about how he said that um, Alabama fans have lost their appreciation for winning and whatnot and how they should just appreciate what they have right now. Which is true. They should. It's like Nick Saban knew that he was that he was having to put in a hard hard work in, in a in a massive coaching job to get this team to where it got to. They were still one of the most talented teams in the country, if not the second most talented team in the country. I, th- I think they were the second most team talented team in the country. But I don't I don't think college football was good at the top this year. You summarize the 2021 season. College football was bad at the top. And yeah, I mean, at one point Iowa was number two, guys. At one point, that was that was a reality. You know, I, I think the top of college football was bad this year. And the fact that these VIP teams in college football 
Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, Oklahoma all had like down years and they and they still were actually like pretty close to make it to get into the to the college football playoff that kind of tells you about how like much more talented they are than most of the teams that they're around but still I think there's a massive there's a bit there's a the door's wide open I think next year going into it not only for the potential of a Georgia repeat depending on who's playing quarterback for them but on top of that, for someone else to just appear randomly out of nowhere. Like, next year could be an LSU type of year. Not for LSU to win it. I'm saying, like, what happened in 2019 where someone just comes out of nowhere and steamrolls their way to a national championship. We don't know who that is yet because the roster outlook for so many teams in college football is not complete by any means. But it could be anybody's year next year. I don't think there's a favorite for the national championship in 2022 yet. Alabama's going to lose a lot again on offense and on defense. And just look at the headlines the last couple of days since the national championship came to its conclusion. And Jamison Williams is just another one of those headlines now since yesterday. We don't know who's playing quarterback at Georgia next year, but if they get a really good quarterback like a Caleb Williams, or even if, you know, I, I don't know if Stetson Bennett, Stetson Bennett probably cannot do it two years in a row. But if they get him the supporting cast that he had this year, Georgia's going to be in the mix. Who's going to play quarterback at Clemson? Do we feel like DJ Ungalele is capable of winning a national championship? He may be capable of getting them through the ACC and into the college football playoff, but is he capable of winning a national championship? I don't think so. I think, I, I think we've seen everything that we need to see there. And then not to mention that they've got two new coordinators coming in. Probably not a scheme shift, but they do have two new coordinators coming in. That lack of continuity hurts a football team. It does. So I don't think Clemson could be considered a favorite. And then Ohio State. Ohio State's going to be in the mix. C.J. Stroud's coming back. They have the best quarterback coming back in college football aside from Bryce Young. But Bryce Young's supporting cast may hurt him. It hurt him enough this year. It hurt C.J. Stroud enough. He lost two games. Lost to his rival, and it wasn't particularly close. Is Michigan going to be back? We don't even know if Jim Harbaugh's going to be the head coach. And the fact that we're even considering Michigan to be a national championship contender in repeat years is laughable to me because we're just not used to doing that. We're not even used to talking about them in the college football playoff. Who else in the SEC could it be? Is Max Johnson capable of elevating Texas A&M? They're going to lose some players. I just don't. I know they just had a, an elite recruiting class, but I'm not sure if that team's ready to take that step yet. They might be a year or two removed. So I'm legit trying to think right now, like what team out there we think, yeah, that team's that team's a shoe in. Look out to the West and Pac-12 country, where that's a barren wasteland. Utah, their champion, lost three games, and Utah will be in the mix again. They will be good. I like Rising a lot. But I, I don't think they're – I mean, they're still a two-loss team. Even their best teams are not capable of making the college football playoff. Oregon, with their first year under Dan Lanning, they've got Bo Nix coming in, but they're going to take a loss week one to Georgia. So now all of a sudden they have to run the table in the Pac-12. I don't think that's – I don't believe that's going to happen. We saw this already with Oregon. They lost to Auburn back in 2019. They couldn't run the table. They may still win the Pac-12 championship, but they'll have two losses. And then USC – First year under Lincoln Riley, they'll be good. But is that roster, which had some pretty poor recruiting classes a couple of years ago under Clay Helton, finished outside the top 40, is that roster ready? Or are they a year or two away? Probably. 
So X out the Pac-12, Oklahoma, first year under Brent Vittables. I'm just sorry. I, I just don't trust the first-year head coach to be without enough mistakes, especially this year where it was clear like they, they were not the best team in the Big 12. And Baylor's going to be pretty good. I don't expect them to go anywhere. But once again, do we, do we think Baylor's a national championship contender? No. I mean, I'm going across all these leagues, and I'm like, who is it? Who is a national championship favorite next year? Is it Georgia all over again? Goes back to the point that I made about this national championship. About how it could spur on a dynastic run for Auburn's rival in the East. It's just hard to project out right now because, once again, the rosters aren't complete. And very well, Alabama could go and fill up in the transfer portal 100% to get Bryce Young his help that he needs to be able to win a national championship. So I imagine it'll be Alabama and Georgia at least as national championship favorites going into next year and then some of the other big names will be up there in the odds but I I will be questioning it because of what I saw this year from those teams and I'm not sure if one year removed we just got to see what their roster changes look like and if they make up for their deficiencies that they had this year but next year as of right now January 14th 2022 it is wide open going into this next football season wide open Back on On the Line on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call, 334-321-1390. That'll put you through to us here on the Friday edition of the show, January 14th. Hope everybody's doing well. If you're joining us on the podcast, thank you for listening. Subscribe, leave a review. Five stars, please. Would love to hear from you about your thoughts on the show. Moving along in the show here, coming up in about five minutes, we'll have Scott Bagwell, Auburn High boys basketball assistant coach. Auburn High going up against Central Phoenix City in a big area matchup tonight at Auburn High School. You can listen to that broadcast. Jack Hutton will have the call on 96.3 WLE tonight. Uh, so make sure you tune into that. I would imagine uh, the varsity girls tip-off will begin around 6 p.m., but we will confirm that with Scott Bagwell coming up in just a few minutes. About five minutes, we'll have Scott Bagwell on the phone lines with us. I asked this question to Lance earlier when we had him on. Lance Dawn of Auburn Wire, LSU Wire, Locked On Kentucky. With A-Day set for April 9th, what do you predict to be different about Auburn football by the spring game? And I've got a couple of things here that I think will be different by the time the spring game starts, different from what we see right now or what we saw at the end of the season. And the top of the list, I, I think it's quarterback play. Auburn's quarterback play will be improved, albeit it may be marginal. It may not be a ton, but it will be better. I think T.J. Finley's going to look better. It's clear that he wants to work hard, that he wants to improve, that he wants to compete. He came in and competed the first time, and he's going to have to compete a second time. It's clear that he has taken ownership of this position. So I think he'll even be improved. How much? Once again, it may be marginal. Zach Calzada, I think, will be improved from what we saw at Texas A&M. I'm excited to see what he looks like compared to what we saw at AM. Because Brian Harson, I mean, he's got a good track record with quarterbacks. Austin Davis, I want to see what he looks like, what, what his quarterbacks look like after getting to work with him for a little while. What does he bring to the table? Because that is a question mark right now. They brought him in to coach quarterbacks and to learn how to be an offense coordinator. But Brian Harson's going to be running this ship, on offense at least. It, it's about the quarterbacks when it comes down to Austin Davis, what he brings in terms of recruiting them and, develop them, and developing them. But I imagine there will be improvement there. And I said yesterday on the show, I think the starter for 2022 is probably on the roster. 
I may end up being wrong. Once again, it's very hard to predict what's going on with Auburn football right now. But I, I think the starter's probably on the roster already. I, I don't expect them to get Caleb Williams, and I'm not sure who else they're going to add through the transfer portal that is going to win this job over the guys that are here right now. Unless someone's got a former five-star that ends up transferring out, and I'm alluding to Georgia there. You know, there could be some dominoes fall that maybe a Georgia player is like, ah, I'm out, I'm going to go play over, you know, three hours down the road at Auburn. I mean, that, that could be true. Uh, but right now, as it stands, what it looks like to me is that um, that the starting quarterback is on the roster at this moment. There could be potentially an additional quarterback on the roster, but right now I think that this is what you got. The second thing that I think is going to be different when the A-Day game rolls around, there will be, cont- there will be competition on the offensive line. And earlier in the show, uh, our intern on the phones today, Trevor, alerted me to the fact that Brian Harson about an hour and a half ago tweeted out that he tweeted out the the video that he tweets out or the gift that he tweets out when Auburn typically gets a recruit. It's where the eagle has it has that stare and then it shifts over to a player and it says Auburn made. That's typically what is put out there when Auburn acquires some talent. Now, could that be an offensive lineman? Could that be a receiver through the transfer portal? Could that be a high school recruit because the dead period ended? It could be anybody. Could it be a quarterback? Could it be Caleb Williams? Could it be anybody, right? I mean, it it could, right? But regardless, I do think you're going to see a couple of offensive linemen come through the door, at least one come through the door. And depending on whether it's a guard or a tackle, you're going to see some competition at that spot. Just because all of these guys return from this offensive line from last year does not mean they're going to have to, that that they don't have to earn their spot. Brian Harson has made that very clear with every single player on this football team. They have to earn their spot. And there are some vacancies right now, like right tackles a vacancy, left guards a vacancy. Those are some things that are going to have to be filled. Brandon Council could come back at left guard and be the front runner, but he's still going to have to compete depending on who comes in through the room. Right tackle is a spot that I look at right now and I say, all right, Killian Zaire appears to be the front runner, but I imagine they're going to bring a tackle in and he's going to have to compete. There is going to be shifting around with this offensive line in the spring because they know it's got to be better. There's going to be massive competition on the offensive line coming the A-Day game. And then lastly, my last thing that I think is going to be different and what I'm predicting to be different about Auburn football come the A-Day game on April 9th, there's going to be a lot of new faces on defense, and this is obvious. This, this is a gimme right here, namely with the secondary and linebackers. A lot of guys that have been um, support players up to this point, they are no longer going to be role players. They are going to be – those guys are going to be the key players next year. Players like Nehemiah Pritchett, Jalen Simpson, key cornerbacks now. It's no longer, the, it's no longer Roger McCreary's show. It's their, it's their show. Safety is the one where you're going to see a lot of new faces. Where you're like, wow, I haven't seen that guy play yet. So be ready for new players on defense. But with that comes a lot of optimism. Scott Bagwell, Auburn High boys basketball assistant coach, coming up on the other side of this break. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. 30 minutes left in the Friday edition of On the Line. Noah Gardner with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. We've got Scott Bagwell, Auburn High School boys basketball assistant coach, as well as Auburn High Sports Network play-by-play announcer with us. Scott, how's it going today, my man? Good, Noah. How are you doing? Doing really well, and it's only a few hours from tip-off of a massive area game between you guys and the rivals, Central Phoenix City. 
But let's back it up to earlier in the week, a loss to Smith Station to start off area play. What was the team's takeaways from the game against Smith Station on the road? Uh, you know, you, you can't – we had opportunities to win the game, and uh, we had a lot of them. And when you go back and watch the film, um, some things happened out of our control um, that uh, happened early in the game, but, but you can't give up opportunities. You can't have small things go um, – go wrong and and things that you can control and get wins in big games away from your home gym when you're at home you can do some things wrong you get away with it when you're playing on the neutral court or you're playing away you you have to be more precise uh you got to carry the scatter report over into the game and uh we knew the smith station liked to run and when they got out and run uh, when they get out and run they're they're very very good and when we start breaking down how how they scored and and all of that, uh, second chance points and transition points for how they won the game, and that was a key for us. Um, and, and also some foul trouble early put us in a situation where we had some guys who were in their first year of varsity basketball having to play big, big minutes in the first half. Um, so, uh, But we had a chance to win at the end or tie at the end. Um, but but the takeaway and the carryover has to be uh, – um, we got to focus on the on the the details, the fundamentals. We got to carry the scouting report over. We got to carry um, this the practice into the games. And the other thing is, uh, when you have opportunities and when you're on runs, you can't you can't press it. And when they're on a run, you can't play hero ball. You got to trust your teammate. You got to move the ball. You got to play good basketball. Um, you know that's kind of been our downfall at times this year. Is when other teams get on an eight oh nine oh run. We feel like it's all it's all on ourselves as opposed to, to run the offense, make the extra pass, get an open look. We, we, we need to get a good look. We don't need a, to get a an individual play. Um, and that's something that we're still working on. And, uh, we you know, we have a relatively young team. So um, we, we got a little bit of time to, to, to correct it, but uh, time's running out. Uh, playoffs are right around the corner. Of course, I've heard many a coach say this, but they said it's easier for the players to move on. It's it's harder for the coaches. The coaches, when they lose a game, they, they kind of they you know sit there and steam about it for a little bit. But I, I'm curious, how has the team responded through practice this week, preparing for uh, another big area matchup, and this one at home? You know, it's it's kind of different with this one. Um, you know, when you lose, when you've lost seven, eight straight at one place, and you have. Um, when you have uh, opportunities to end that losing streak, I mean, we've had Final Four teams go into that place and get beat. So, um, you know, you have a group of kids who put everything into winning that game. You come up a possession short. It hurts. Um, and, and I think the lingo or the hangover effect is a little bit longer in that type of situation. Um, but, you know, today, you know, kids seemed upbeat. Um, the other thing is, is at times trying to carry over what a high school kid is thinking from day to day, even from practice to a game, it's kind of difficult. You don't know what you're going to get till the ball is tipped, and and usually you can find out within the first couple of possessions of of if they're locked in or if they're not. This team hasn't lost at home in three years. These seniors haven't lost at home ever. These seniors have also had an opportunity in front of them to do something that's never been done in Auburn high school basketball history, which is win three straight area championships. So I expect the seniors to be locked in and ready to go tonight. What's the scouting report on the Central Phoenix City Red Devils? They're going to shoot it well. Um, you know, they are in a transition year. 
Hall of Famer Bobby Wright is gone. Uh, they have a new coach, a state title winning coach, and he's putting his fingerprints over this program. They had an opportunity to win at Smith as well. So, um, you know, they're a hungry team. This is a big game for both teams. Both teams are 0-1. We have to um, we have to hold serve at home. Smith has done it. They went 2-0 at home. Central, if you can win a road game in this area, it gives you that inside edge to an area championship. So Central's going to come in hungry. They're young. Um, they, they got some freshmen and some sophomores in the rotation. Um but, but they're going to run, they're going to be athletic, but what they want to do is spot up and shoot the ball from outside. And when they get going, um, you know, they, it's kind of it, it's kind of stuff, uh, tough to stop. Um, so we're going to have to identify shooters. We're going to have to close out. We're going to have to keep the ball out of the paint because uh, if, you, if you just try to stick to shooters, they'll go to the rim and they'll finish at the rim. Um, we're going to have to play sound defensively and then offensively. We just we have to eliminate open court turnovers. It's one thing to throw the ball out of bounds. It's, it's another thing to throw the ball to somebody, and now they have a wide open layup. Um, and and now the new thinking with basketball is if you take a bad shot and it leads to a run out, it's just as bad as turning the ball over in the open court. Got it. Got to value possession tonight. What are the keys to tonight's game against Central? Uh, rebound. And, you know, we, we got to get a little bit more than just Ja and Buck. Um, you know, Ja and Buck both played well, especially early against Smith, but then they had to stay in the game. The Lakers got tired. We, as a coaching staff, got to find ways to get them breaks and have to find ways to keep their legs fresh so they're ready to go in the fourth quarter. But other people have to step up and when their number is called, be ready to go. You know, different people in different games have stepped up and play well. I thought Landon Grubbs and Griffin McLean both played well when we needed them, when we had post-foul trouble against Smith. We need we need some guards to step up and give us good minutes and give us some points and give us some made shots from the outside tonight. Uh, and then uh, when we have the opportunity, if, if we get an opportunity to put them away, we need to do so. Um, don't want to let teams hang around because uh, that's how somebody goes on a late run and then you find yourself in a one-possession game, and, and, and anything can happen in those situations. Of course, we are nearing the last two, three weeks of the regular season, and this is the time of year where you want to start seeing your squad peak going into tournament time. How do you, as a coaching staff, how do you engineer that? You know, it's it's kind of, it's, it's, it's difficult. Last year, I felt like we did that. We were, you know, we, we took a tough loss in Christmas, and then we, Lost at Smith as well last year, but then we, we started to, to figure it out and find our comfort zone. And we made it to the Final Four. A couple of years ago with Garrison Brooks, January was kind of a hitting wall moment, and then in February got everything sorted back out and then made it to the Final Four. January is important. The big thing is what, you, what can't happen is you can't fall apart in January, and that leads into the fall apart in February, you got to embrace the grind this month because that's what it is. You know, we two area games this week. Next week, we go to Birmingham to play Hartsville. The week after that, back in area for two area games. And then it's Opelike and Lynette, and then it's area tournament and playoffs. So you got to embrace the grind in January and understand that it's more mental than it is physical in practice. Um, and, uh, you know, you're, you're looking for the final touches because – you know, if, if you want to play big minutes as a player going into the playoffs, 
this is the last these are the last couple of weeks that you can earn it because um because once you get locked into the rotation especially at the end of january into february it's not really going to change a whole lot speaking with auburn high school boys basketball assistant coach scott bagwell scott of course an important game tonight we're not overlooking it but what's coming up on the horizon for auburn boys basketball yeah, you know, next week uh, on Monday on MLK Day, we go to Vestavia to play Hartzell, which will be a great opportunity for us to go play in the northern part of the state, play some teams, play a team that we don't normally see, play an environment that we don't normally see. And if we were blessed to have an opportunity, now we know, again, what it's like to play in Birmingham, what it's like to, to how those teams play in the north and everything like that. Um, and then after that, like I said, it's more area play, more local rivalries. Every game, it's felt like since, uh, you know, uh, the turn of the calendar year has been intense um, and has been uh, just a grinded-out type of game. We're going to have to get used to that because it feels like that's going to be every single game that we're going to have the rest of the way. It's, you know, going to be tight games, you know, low-possession games at the end. we got to value the basketball, got to find ways to get stops. And and, um, and the other thing, if you're seniors uh, – as I told them yesterday, guys, you know, we're, we're running out of games, out of guaranteed games for y'all. Y'all better embrace this and, and understand what's at stake. You know, we, we preached that to the seniors last year that, hey, guys, you know, we have an opportunity to do something special. Let's go do it. And we got to the Final Four, and we came up short of the ultimate goal, but, you know, we, we made a run that we wanted to. And I, I tried to tell these seniors, especially on the team last year, hey, guys, y'all know what it's like. and This is the time where we need to turn it up. Don't let the loss at Smith Station carry over and get us beat here tonight. Let's get some momentum started. Let's come out, start hot against Central here at home, and then get a win and then carry that into the rest of the way and and see if we can win another area championship, win the area tournament, set us up in a good spot going into the playoff. Of course, Scott, also a local media personality here, talking a lot about Auburn University. Uh, if you keep up with him on social media and whatnot, I want to know your thoughts going into Auburn men's basketball's game tomorrow against Ole Miss. I know a lot of people are like, all right, Auburn wins. and You know, there's a chance of being the number one team in the country. I know some bracketologists have Auburn as the number one overall seed, things like that. What I remember, what I know about this Ole Miss program with Kermit Davis is they had given Bruce Pearl so this is a huge game because Auburn's going into, for some reason, Kermit Davis and his system, they kind of fit and they kind of have Bruce Pearl's number a little bit. They swept the team that went to the Final Four. They swept Auburn last year. The year before that, Auburn swept Ole Miss, but there was also a 20-point comeback in Oxford. When Auburn goes to Oxford the last couple of years, Ole Miss played really, really well. So Auburn's going to have their hands full. Um the other thing is, is Auburn has grown up a lot in the last two weeks. I'm interested to see if they continue to do that. This team has a chance to be special, like be in New Orleans special. But there is going to be a bad stretch. Every single team has had it. What happens when Auburn hits the bad couple of games? You know, or how are they going to turn that around? The other thing is, you can't look forward to that game that's in a week. You, you got to get there with the momentum that you have and something special will happen. And that'll be a special environment when Kentucky comes to Auburn. But, uh, but can't overlook Ole Miss. Uh, it's going to be a raucous environment when you're ranked this high and you go on the road. It's going to be a tough place to play. 
Last question to you before we let you get out of here and going back to your and leaning here on your coaching experience. You know, is is there a thing? Is there such thing as like just how a, a, an opposing coach coaches like that can have an effect and a matchup to have the type of trends that we've had in the Auburn Ole Miss game, or is it is it scheme, or or could it literally just be a coaching style? I think it's just a coaching style. I mean, I know people might not want to hear it, but Gus. Gus normally matched up pretty. Gus Malzahn normally matched up pretty well with Nick Saban before the national championship game. Nick Saban had Kirby Smart's number, and it's not necessarily talent or anything like that. And it might be schemes because you know you look at you know Ole Miss gets beat a lot by teams that Auburn beats a lot, but you know it, it, when they match up, it just for some reason there's just something that's off. And then somebody will take the Ole Miss game plan, but then Auburn destroys it because it's not what they do. It's just what Ole Miss does. They run that. They have the one-three-one, and that's what's given Auburn issues in the past. Is that one-three zone, one-three-one zone? Um, it, it, you know, it's it's a little bit of both. It's a little bit of clash of just styles and schemes. And for some reason, that has been an advantage to Ole Miss in the last couple of years. With that said, I think I don't think Auburn has been playing as well as they have now going into the old Oxford in the past couple of years, if that makes any sense. I think I think this team is hot. I think this team is hungry. I think this team is deeper than they've ever been. Um, what you've had in a couple of those other games, if one or two guys didn't get going, then some other, uh, you know, you had other people who weren't ready to step up. Auburn's got three or four guys that can step up and, put up a 20-point night and carry a team to a victory. Scott, we appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today. Good luck in tonight's action against Central. Thanks, guys. Y'all have a good one. That was Scott Bagwell, Auburn High School boys basketball assistant coach, as well as Auburn High Sports Network play-by-play announcer for football and baseball. If you want to hear tonight's Auburn High boys and girls basketball games against Central, tune in to 96.3 W. Lee. I would imagine tip-off time about 5.45, 6 o'clock over there on 96.3 W. Lee. Back on ASBN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central, Alabama. Number to call, 334-321-1390. That'll put you through to us here for the final segment of On the Line. Got about five and a half minutes left in the show. If you want to squeeze in for one final call, 334-321-1390. Been talking a lot about the basketball game coming up tomorrow. We just spoke with Scott Bagwell, Auburn High School boys basketball assistant coach, and Lance Dahl of Auburn Wire, LSU Wire, and Locked On Kentucky for the Friday edition of the program. If you missed any of today's show, go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast before we get to final take we're gonna run through this Auburn Ole Miss basketball game one last time tomorrow and what the scouting report is on the Rebels looking at the scouting report and I said this just wrapping it up with a bow I don't see a single area on the floor where Ole Miss beats Auburn tomorrow I understand being uncomfortable with this matchup part of the reason why I asked Scott just a few moments ago is it just a coach's coaching style that can affect a matchup like this and generate the trends that we have had just some coaches sometimes know how to coach against somebody else and their team they know what buttons to push they know what to do I mean Gus Malzahn was great against Nick Saban comparatively speaking of course to other coaches in college football sometimes you just know what buttons to push and Ole Miss has known how to push Auburn's buttons 
has known how to score on Auburn, has known how to defend Auburn. But this team is so talented, I, I, I just don't see a single area on the floor where Ole Miss beats Auburn tomorrow. This team is so talented, history goes out the window. And I, I don't know if you can overcome the talent discrepancy here between these two teams with, with a coaching style or scheme or anything like that. I fully expect Auburn to go in and win by double digits tomorrow at Ole Miss. This is going to be a big win. And here are my four points about it before we get to final take. Auburn's the better rebounding team. They should win the battle in the paint. As I broke down earlier in the show, Ole Miss scoring below like 47% on two-point shots. Opponents are scoring 57% of the time inside the arc. That's ridiculous. And Auburn is in the top two in both two-point percentage categories, whether it's them scoring or their opponents not scoring. Auburn's going to dominate the paint. They're the better rebounding team. Ole Miss is getting out-rebounded in conference play. So I, I, and they're a defensive team. You would imagine a, f- a defensive team that is theoretically forcing more misses that they're going to be able to be able to out-rebound opposing teams because there's more opportunities to rebound. That's not the case. And Auburn is out-rebounding their opponents by five. Ole Miss is minus two in that category. Auburn's the better defensive team, as evidenced by what I talked about in terms of defending their own rim. Add to that the 10 shots blocked per game. Auburn should not have a hard time tomorrow in terms of defense. Auburn's the more talented team. They're the deeper team. Ole Miss is without their leading scorer going into this game. And Jarkel Joyner. They have one dude who's averaging more than double digits. And he, and he hasn't even been a, a primary weapon for Ole Miss all year long in terms of minutes. It's really came on as the season's gone on. But, and that's roughing that I'm talking about for them. And he, but just roughing alone is not going to be enough to take on 11 Tigers that can score on you in different ways. And just not going to be able to. That's, that's the death for Auburn. So many different guys can carry the torch for them on any given night. Let's wrap up the show here with Final Take. Final Take. Last take of the week here on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. I started out the show today talking about the transfer portal. Does that hurt Auburn? Does that help Auburn? And I think right now the net is zero. You had a couple of big losses, a Bo Nix in the transfer portal. Kobe Hudson was dismissed from the team, but he did end up in the portal. But on the flip side, I think there's reason for optimism moving forward that Auburn's going to bring in some guys over the next couple of weeks. And by the time that the A-Day game rolls around on April 9th, this team's going to look vastly different than what it looks like right now and what it looked like at the conclusion of the Birmingham Bowl. You look across college football, and there are a lot of teams right now whose rosters are incomplete. It's hard to pinpoint who the favorite is going to be for the 2022 National Championship. It could be Georgia, depending on who's playing quarterback. Alabama's losing a lot. Jamison Williams enters the NFL draft. Several players, more than several players in Alabama, have entered the transfer portal. Clemson, are they going to have things figured out with DJ Ungalele at quarterback? They're probably all wondering what's going on with their two new coordinators. Ohio State lost two games this year. Are things going to be better next year? Same roster. Did they get better? Oklahoma didn't make it to the Big 12 championship game. The VIP room of college football this past year, it got rocked. And are they all going to be back? I'm sure a few of them will be better. But the reality is right now in college football, It's open season, and it's anybody's game. So don't panic about Auburn. Don't panic about Auburn at all. 
That's it for another edition of On the Line on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. We'll be back with you tomorrow, same time, same place, or Monday, same time, same place. You know where to find us.